uh, <clears throat> I'm becoming more uh, and more aware uh, each day how out of touch I am with like the the current uh, generation. And as people as I get older and people get younger and suddenly I feel like I don't have a clue what's going on in the world. Um, my neighbor was telling me the other day uh, about a study uh, or, or a poll that was it was a questionnaire to young children. I believe they were in elementary school about what they wanted to be uh, when they grow up. And so he was sharing this with me and he said uh, some overwhelming number. I think he said 70 percent, but I didn't read it. So I was getting this second hand. But around 70 percent of the kids were saying when they were asked what they wanted to be when they grew up is they wanted to be a YouTuber. Uh, that is, they wanted to make videos to go on YouTube. And uh, as he told me that, I was like. I'm not even sure what that means or why you would want to be that or. And so uh, I was just kind of thrown off by that. OK, a YouTuber. And so we we're talking about kind of implications of that. And uh, then a couple of days later, I read an article about uh, maybe you heard about this deal with with uh, wealthy parents paying to get their kids into college. I mean, you heard about that story. And uh, I was reading about this story and reading down and they're talking about how one of the young ladies whose parents had paid to get her into some really good school. Uh, one of the com- or it said she was actually somewhat famous on Instagram, that she had uh, over a million followers on Instagram. And I read down at the bottom and the first comment was somebody said, this is so dumb. This whole story. Why did they pay to get her into college? She's already an influencer. That was the word used because she has over a million followers on Instagram. She doesn't need to go to college. Now, I'm not saying whether you you don't have to go to college. That's not my point. But the point is that she's got a million followers on Instagram. So she's set. She's good. She doesn't need anything else. And so as I'm hearing this about YouTubers and influencers and all these things. And I'm trying to get my head around it. And I thought, what is going on? Uh, and then my eight-year-old uh, explained it to me. <laughs> uh, Quinn came in and said, oh, I can tell you why. And he said, uh, you, you want to be a YouTuber. So you get famous. And when you get famous, you have lots of money and you can buy all the cool stuff. And that was his answer. And I went and I looked at him and I said, and then what? And he was like, what do you mean? And then what? You, you've made it. You're famous and you got lots of money and you can buy all the cool stuff and you're good. And I thought, oh, is that really where we are? But that's kind of the way our culture operates and works a lot of the time that we we think that money and position and power and stuff. And then you can buy all the cool things and then you're good. You got enough followers. You got enough people who know who you are. You're set. You don't need anything else. And we often believe that and we're inundated with that idea in our culture that if we have enough money and enough influence and enough stuff and we do that, uh, that happiness will follow in the good life and all that goes with that. But as I was thinking about that, I'm going to pose this question to you. Have you ever considered that we gather together here uh, weekly uh, to to worship the most influential man that ever lived, that we profess to be God, Jesus Christ, and that he had no money? And that he was homeless, uh, that he didn't write anything himself, that he never sought to gather things of this world unto himself. Uh, He never encouraged anyone else to chase after those things. And in fact, he did the opposite. He continually told them that that's not where the abundant life would be found. He continually would say this over and over and confound the people that were following after him, that were coming into contact with him. Uh, Most, uh, even not just those in his day, but even when we read the Gospels today, Uh, I remember reading a quote years ago and I couldn't find 
who it was from, but, but the quote went, uh, we need theologians so we can explain away all the things that Jesus has called us to because we're not actually going to do them. And I think of when we read the teachings of Jesus about what he calls us to and what he says the abundant life looks like and how we're to lay down our lives and we're to serve others. And it's so countercultural to everything else. Oftentimes we read those and then we go, he couldn't really mean that. And we start to try to explain them away and massage it and make it into something else. And so I say all that as we begin this morning, because here we are in this this uh, series as we've been following the life of Jesus. And, and as we go, he's he's moving towards uh, the crucifixion. We're, we're right up to the end now. We're within just a, a couple of weeks of the crucifixion. Jesus is on his way here in Matthew 19 up to Jerusalem for the last time. He's he's now making his way up. And he's going to have these several conversations that Dennis just read for us just a second ago. Uh, a rich young man, and then he's going to tell a story, and then he's going to stop in the middle and pull his disciples aside and remind him that he's about to die. And then he'll address a question from James and John's mother about their position in his kingdom. And in all these things, he says, he's going to continue to confound each person that he comes into contact with. Because what Jesus is saying about what it looks like to follow him and the abundant life he offers is so countercultural in every way. And people are trying to get their head around what he's saying and understand because they're so thinking of it in different ways. We've been saying this throughout his life, that people are looking for the Messiah to come and lead a revolution and go with me and we're going to take over and everything's going to be great. And so they're jockeying now for position. And I want to be close to Jesus because what I'm about to get out of this. And even his disciples are struggling to understand the fullness of who he is and what he's calling them to. And so the way I want us to look at, I know it's a lot of text this morning, but I want to take those, those stories together and what Jesus says and the interactions he has. And this is the way I want us to look at it. First, the lies that get exposed that are keeping us. There's lies that we believe that keep us from the fullness of life that Jesus is called to. And in these interactions, we're going to see some of those exposed. So I want us first to think about the lies that we believe that keep us from the fullness that God's calling us to. Secondly, the truth that transforms us. And then lastly, what might it look like to pursue what Jesus is calling us to? And so let's start first with the lies that we believe that we also we often can hold on to. Even in the life of a believer, we say this frequently. Discipleship is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. That there's parts that we continue to go back and, and live in unbelief. I'm not saying you're not a believer or you don't trust Jesus or you don't love him or you're not in a saving relationship. But because we're constantly discipled by the culture around us, it's easy to slip back into believing these things. And so these lies that keep us from the fullness of what Jesus is calling us to. And so the first thing, the idea that kind of looms large in these stories, the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and he's wanting to justify himself by what he does and who he is and says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And, and Jesus essentially says to him, you need to be perfect. You need to keep them all. And, and this guy has the, the wherewithal to say, yeah, I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm killing it. What else? Anything else? And so Jesus looks at him and tells them to sell all that he has. Sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Or, or when you when you read in a verse 20 and following of chapter 20 
Uh, it says the mother of the sons of Zebedee. That's James and John's mom. So James and John, part of the inner circle of Jesus's disciples. He's often pulling them aside with Peter. They're right in there. They seem to be high up in the, the organization, the way the people are looking at it. Right. And she pulls Jesus aside and is like, hey, can they be like your right hand man? Can they sit right next to the throne when you're the king? And Jesus kind of goes, Ooh, you don't you don't know what you're asking here. Now, they're thinking, I want you to think about the way they're seeing it. They're thinking that Jesus is like the, the guy that's just been elected president. He's about to have the inauguration and he's got to get his cabinet in place. And they're going, we want to want to go ahead and throw our resume in. that We would like to be, you know, good positions in the kingdom. And so they're thinking of it in more temporal ways. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 you're missing this. And so the first lie that gets exposed that I want us to think about is this idea that money and power or position possessions is the way to the good life. Right. You see the, the rich young ruler who has all these possessions and Jesus goes, you don't need all that. Come follow me. And he goes, he goes away sorrowful. He's like, I don't know about that. Right. That's great. I'm cool with keeping commandments and I'm cool with keeping you at arm's distance, but giving up all this other stuff and his heart gets exposed that the idea that through stuff, through position, through what people say or the things that we own or we have, that's what leads ultimately to the good life. And we mistake that lie and we take it for the truth and it leads us down a, a rabbit hole of chasing something that will never, ever fully satisfy us. Uh, it doesn't mean that if God gifts you, uh, blesses you with different things in your life, but hold them lightly as ways to glorify him, not for things that will ultimately satisfy you because they can't do it. And when you put your trust in something that can't ultimately satisfy to ultimately satisfy you, your life will be a series of disappointments and they'll grow to the point where you're like, I don't know what to do with this anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard at a, at a racetrack, you ever seen the dogs at a racetrack that, that chase the fake little rabbit thing, right? It, it cuts on and the thing goes out and the dogs go flying after it. They say every once in a while, a dog catches that. Right. A dog like gets out there and jumps out fast enough and jumps on the thing and gets it. And they go, they can never get the dog to run again after that. Because suddenly he realizes this is all a hoax. Right. Like, <laughs> who cares? It's a piece of plastic. I don't want that. And I think in our life, when we chase things of the world, whether it's position or power or money, that it just has a continuing effect of finally like, what am I doing? Because we're chasing after something that can't ultimately bring us the joy that only Jesus can. And so the first lie that we believe is that money or power or position is going to bring us the hope, uh, uh, the joy that we're looking for. And it cannot do it. And you see that with the rich young ruler. You see that with James and John's mom as they're coming and they're going, I want to make sure I get my kids in the best position. It's kind of like the people that were trying to buy their kids into college. Right. I'm going to set them up for life by doing this. And so we often believe that lie. But then the second thing I want you to consider is, is Jesus has this interaction with the rich young ruler and he goes away sorrowful. And then Jesus says to his disciples, it's very difficult. Uh, I, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're trying to get their head around this. We'll come back to that in a second. But then he says this in verse 29 or 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone has left houses or brothers or sisters 
or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the Many who are first will be last and the last first. And so what I want you to think about the second thing here as we get into this is here's the rich young ruler and he can't give up his possessions that he has in this life. And they're trying to get their head around how this works and what Jesus is calling them to. And he says this thing in verse 28. He says, when I sit on my throne in the new world, right? Remember, they're all thinking Jesus is about to ascend to the throne and he's going to be king and everything's going to be set up. But the word that Jesus uses here in the new world is regeneration. Uh, Palagenesia. It means to make all things new. And what he's actually talking about is second coming when he finally consummates the fullness of his kingdom and he sits on his glorious throne, he says what you will have in the next life is far greater than the things that you're chasing now. And what he's pointing us to, and this is the second lie that we often miss, is that we believe that this life is all there is or we live that way. Uh, I, I was uh, learned this the other day at the gym. Somebody who works with uh, kids was talking about YOLO. If you've heard that, Y-O-L-O, YOLO. Maybe you don't, I get a lot of blank stares. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It means you only live once. And uh, that's like the cool thing to say, or maybe it, maybe maybe it's not that cool anymore. We might be past that now, but I'm just catching up. Uh, but they say that a lot, like you only live once. And so it's kind of like the rallying cry of I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm, I'm going to go for it. You only live once. But, but the truth is of what scripture tells us and what God tells us is you do only live once, but it's forever. And what you do in this life has eternal consequences. And so it's the opposite, actually, of what we're often saying and throwing out there is you only live once. And so what Jesus says here is that if you follow him, right, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And he's talking about what you do now will have consequences in eternity and to come follow me and don't make it just about this. And so they're all doing this. Everybody that comes to Jesus jockeying for position. When you become king, I'm going to be right there with you. He's going, you're not understanding the fullness of this. And so he's calling us to see things in eternal light, not just the temporary light, not just in today, but in the scope of eternity. You know, in James, it says our life is just merely a mist or a breath. It's just a second in the scope of eternity. But often we live like that breath, that mist, that few seconds in the scope of eternity is all there is. And Jesus is calling us to something far greater. But sometimes when we talk about that, and I've heard people say this a lot, what they'll say is, uh, so store up treasures in heaven. And, and the Bible talks about that, uses that language. But what we end up meaning is, is kind of defer for now and save up for great things in heaven. And so I'm going to do good works so that I get rewarded in heaven. And I, and I think the problem, though, when we begin to talk that way, and we have to be real careful when we say that, is we start to use Jesus and following him as a means to an end. I'm going to follow Jesus now and I'm going to go hard after it because he's going to give me all this other stuff that I really want later on. And be really careful when we start to think about what Jesus is saying, because if you look closely at what he says, if you've left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or any of those things, he says, for my name's sake, for my glory. If you make your life about seeking me and my glory and who I am, you're going to receive a hundredfold. 
I can't help but think that when Jesus says that and he calls us to that, when you make your life about seeking to see God's face, blessed are the righteous, the ones that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you will see God. That Jesus is calling us to you seek me and it's going to be a hundredfold when you enter into my kingdom and you see me face to face and you worship me as I have called you. You're not going to be thinking like, oh, now I get my mansion or, or now I get my crown. You're going to see him and be like, there's the crown. There's the joy of what I've been hungering and thirsting and seeking after. And so don't let it be this thing that it's like, oh, you do good works today because Jesus will give you a bunch of other stuff later on. No, you seek for his name's sake because you will see God. And you will get to be in his presence and you will get to worship him forever. And he will meet every need that you have. And so make sure we don't get off on that because the sinfulness of our heart can easily make it. Well, yeah, I'll exchange the temporal for the eternal and I'll get all my good stuff later. He is the good stuff. He's what you get later. And so the second thing is we often believe that this life is all there is. But then the third thing is you start to look at these stories. And I think it's under the rich young ruler and the way he responds when it says he has great possessions and he goes away sorrowful. Um, I think it's in the laborers in the vineyard, right? The, the people get upset because as people get added on and on and on and then they get the same thing. In 20, in verse 12, it says the last ones worked only for an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day. And the people are upset. Or when James and John's mother come and they're asking about the kingdom and I want them to be at your right hand. And it says in verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And part of this is this jockeying for position and thinking I'm trying to get ahead And I think the lie that we end up believing is our success and the things that we have in this life are our own doing. It's all what I have produced and what I've gotten. I see that especially in the rich young ruler who's like, I've got all this stuff and you're telling me to leave it. And when we start to believe the lie, and I think that's what Jesus is teaching partly anyway, when he says about it's it's more difficult for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Is we can end up believing that all that I've have and all that I've accomplished is because of me. Look at what I've done. And when we do that, we start to hold it very tightly because it's mine and I did this and I've got it and this is who I am. And we get our identity from that. And the problem is when we start to do that, we're missing the fact that every good gift that you have in your life is by the grace of God. You exist because he says so. The gifts that you have that you're able to accomplish things are because he's given you those. And so it's easy when we start to do really well in whatever area to begin to believe the lie that it's like, look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at how great I am. And so maybe you're a really great businessman. You've made lots of money or, or businesswoman and you've made lots of money and you've gone out and you've accomplished lots of things. And you go, uh, you could ask the question, why have you done that? So, well, I'm, I'm really good uh, with seeing markets and futures and where trends are. And I'm good at anticipating those. And I take the appropriate risk. And you go, OK, well, why do you do that? 
Well, because I had some really good mentors and I went to a great school and I learned these things. Great. Why did you go to that school? Well, because I was a good student in high school and I made good grades and I worked hard. Fine. Why did you work hard? Well, my parents instilled in me a good work ethic and they told me these things. Great. Why were you born to those parents in a place where you could make lots of money doing the things that you do? And if you go all the way back, what you get to is because God, by his grace, allowed you to be born in those, that place with those parents, with these opportunities, that these things could happen. And it's all his. You exist because he says so. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no personal responsibility. It doesn't mean that you may work very hard. Those are good things. We're called to do everything for God's glory. But it's also a good reminder that all that we have and all that we are, all good gifts come down from the father of lights, that God himself gifts us with those things. And all you have is his. So when the rich young ruler says, I'm doing all of it, I'm killing it, I'm keeping all the rules. And he says, great, lay all this stuff down and come follow me. And he goes, ah, I don't know about that. And so we struggle at different times believing this lie that what we do and how well we do it and how great we are at it is because of how good we are and what we've done. And that leads us to believing that it's all ours because I've accomplished this. I've done it. But that's missing the bigger picture that you are not your own, that you belong to God, that you exist because he says so. The things that you are good at is because he has given you by his grace the ability to do those things. But then the last one, the last lie, and I think this is important because it goes with all of these. Uh, in some ways, it's the fountain that the other ones kind of flow out of. And it feeds them all when you start to think about it. But that, the lie that your value and your worth is based on what you do. Uh, that you earn your value and worth by your doing. Uh, I say this sometimes, maybe you've heard me say this before, but we get it wrong when our uh, doing precedes our being. We are created to be the other way, but we make it and, and we often flip it, flip it. And we believe the lie that our worth is based on what we accomplish. And so the idea of position and wealth and notoriety, uh, being famous, Right. Being a YouTuber that makes lots of money, that can buy all the stuff. And then people look at you and they go, wow, look at how uh, successful you are. And everybody knows who you are and you've got lots of good things. You've made it. And so then I'm a good person or I've made it or my identity is tied to the things that I've accomplished. My uh, being comes from my doing. I've done these things. So now I've arrived and now I'm this. And so when we start to believe that lie it leads to all these other things right look at what i've done and i've accomplished and who i am it, it leads to this lie of believing uh, uh that if i have all this stuff then i'm good but the problem is that that totally misses the point of who you are it's your core you're made in god's image after his likeness and your being who you are is dependent and bestowed by your creator, not what you do. It starts, it begins and ends with him. You are made in his likeness after his image. That's why all life is precious. That's why all people are made in God's image. So we care and love and seek to be gracious and kind to every single person you meet. It's not based on what they do, but who they are. And they are image bearers of the creator God of the universe. 
and your doing proceeds from your being. Not the other way around. And so your worth is bestowed to you by your creator. And so when we start to think about how we get that backwards, what is the truth that explodes those lies and brings us back to what Jesus is calling us to? And it's right in the middle of this that here he is telling these stories. And he has this interaction and then he tells the parable, right? They're all missing the full picture. And then he gathers his disciples and he says, come here, guys. This is the third time he tells them. In chapter 20 and verse 17, he he pulls them aside and he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. And they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and to be flogged and to be crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. He says, you guys are missing the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you again. Right? They're, they're, they're still missing it because right after this is when they go, hey, can we sit at your right hand? And he's going, you don't know what you're asking. My kingdom doesn't look like the way you think it looks. It's all leading to me going and laying my life down for you. See, the, the rich young ruler wants to come to Jesus and know what he can do. Right? What are the good works that I need to be doing so that I can be made whole? So I can get eternal life. So I can get these things. And Jesus says, you've got to be perfect. Right? When he says to him, sell all your stuff and follow me. He's trying to show him, you think you've got it, but you don't have it. You're not perfect. You don't have everything together. You will never be able to get your identity. You will never be able to set things right by what you do. In Mark's gospel, the, the parallel to the same passage. Mark says that Jesus looked at the young man and he loved him. And then he said, sell all your stuff and come follow me. Jesus loves us so much that he's like, I'm going to reveal to you where in your heart you think that you can get the fullness of life. And I'm going to show you that it doesn't work. And it's because he loved him that he called them to that. And all these things that we chase after believing that we can do and make our being be from what we do. And I want to accomplish these things. And I want to get this stuff and then things will be right. That all of that comes back to the void that is in our heart that we know that we're not right. That we know that we're not perfect, that we know that we haven't done enough. And so we're trying to fill it with all these different things. And here Jesus stands in the middle and he says, that's why I've come to die. I didn't come to go set up my kingdom right now and give you some rules to follow so that you could earn your way because you would never be able to do it. So I have come to lay my life down for you. And when we start to focus on the cross, what happens is it begins to expose every one of these. The position and power and money will never fulfill you. It will never happen. The cross and then Jesus subsequent resurrection shows us that this life is not all there is. That Jesus is the God over sin and death that he will raise again. It blows that apart. All the things that we want to put our hope and our value in and the ways that we want to see them, the cross begins to explode every single part of this. Your success is not your own doing. You desperately need a savior. And the cross alerts us to that because Jesus has to die. And he says, I'm coming up and they're going to lay me down and they're going to crucify me and they're going to. Uh, flog me and mock me and they're going to do these things. And that is an extreme testimony 
to how sinful we are, but it's also the testimony of how God loves us so greatly. That you are worth him coming to lay his life down. He's showing you, I love you this much. And your worth and your value is because of what I say and who you are in me and what I do for you. And so in the cross, we start to see every single one of those lies exploded as it gets exposed and he shows us the truth. This present is not all there is, right? He tells them they're going to crucify me and I will be raised on the third day to eternal life by what I do. This life is not all there is. There's far more to it than that. And in the cross, what he does is he shows us that our entire being is due to him and what he's done for us. And as such, now in Christ, by grace, through faith and what Jesus has done, we're a new creation and we get to now show what he's like was the exact opposite of the way the world works. And he says, now you get to go and serve and love others in a way that I have loved you. Right? That's the way he summarizes the whole thing. Look at the end of chapter 20 when he has the conversation. The ten heard this and they were indignant at the two brothers. I think part of what was happening is they were like, why didn't we think of that? Should have got to them first. Why did I let them say? Right? They're all upset because they want to be right there. But Jesus called them to him. And he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be the servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And it begins to show us what it looks like to live the fullness of what God has created us for. To love God. And to love people and to serve others and point them to how our hope is fully and completely in God and nothing else. And the cross shows us that so clearly. It explodes all the lies that we think that we can get it in all these other ways. We can't. You will never find the fullness of what you were created for in those other things. And Jesus is showing us that pointing us to the cross and how it answers every single one of them. And so let's just end here for just a second. What might it look like to begin to live that out? To, care, to humble ourselves, to care for others in the way that Jesus has cared for us. There's a radical freedom that comes in understanding that your position is secure in Jesus. That you don't have to Get all these things to make yourself be this. You're already there. God loves you fully and completely and totally. And it's all because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. And you can rest in that. And so that means you don't have to use other people. You don't have to seek to get other things. You don't have to try to push other people down to get ahead because I need all this stuff to validate who I am. You've already got it in Jesus. And so you don't have to... Sound an alarm of, hey, look at what I'm doing over here. God already knows. He's got all of it. You're his. You get to now humble yourself and serve other people. Begin to love them and point them to the love that God has given you in Jesus. And that means it gives us a great resource to actually be gracious to people. Gracious means giving someone what they don't deserve. 
If you're operating in who you are, it's based on what you have and how you get ahead and all those other things. It's really, really hard to be gracious. It's really hard to put other people first. But when you are secure in Jesus and what he's done for you, it makes perfect sense. All that I have, all that I am, all that I ever will be is due to me by God's grace and nothing else. And so I can rest in that. I don't have to worry about going, hey, look at me over here. So look at him and what he's done that we would make much of him. And that's the life that Jesus calls us to. And the truth is, it's far better than anything else we can come up with. It actually works when you love God and you love people and you forget yourself in that. It's better. It's way better. And so Jesus calls us to this abundant life that is not only for the future, the eternal life we get, but it's for now. It actually works better in the day to day. Sometimes it's hard and it can be difficult, but God gets the glory and all of that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you call us to yourself. We thank you that as you reveal to us uh, the perfection that's required, that you're immediately calling us. Uh, to your grace and what you've done for us. We thank you that you willingly came to lay your life down, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And for that, we simply say thank you. I pray that you would impress upon us fresh this day that our identity is secure in you, that we are loved fully and completely and fully, and it's all because of what you've done and nothing else. And we just say simply thank you. And we love you and we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.